This podcast is a presentation of University of California Television. Like what you hear? Consider making a donation at uctv.tv slash donate so we can continue to bring you more great programs. I'm very excited to be here and I'm very excited to end today with a celebration of sorts of neurodivergent people. Uh, and I want to center that celebration that we're having of neurodivergence and neurodiversity by giving uh, my co-panel, co-moderator and the panelists the chance to introduce themselves. So panelists, thank you all so much for being here. I'd love it if you could give uh, a bit of an introduction of yourself. Uh, Jeff, if you want to just quickly uh, add on to your introduction and then everybody else, we can go from there. Thank you, Garrett. Um, my name is Jeff Snyder. and I'm an autism neurodiversity um, advocate and public speaker. And uh, I'm greatly honored to be here today. Um, I'm also the founder of Going the Distance, which is my platform and uh, business. So uh, it's a tremendous honor um, again to be here. Um, I've been with the um, I've been with Autism Tree for about four years now, and I'll be going on year number five in 2024. So looking forward to that and uh, many more years to come. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jeff. Andrew, take it away. Um, hello, my name is Andrew Abel, and I'm a self advocate. I currently work. I currently work in a couple of settings. One, I'm a teacher assistant in Connecticut at a school called Focus Center for Autism. I am also part of New York's uh, Anderson Center for Autism as a consultation tutoring associates. A lot of my work specializes in special education, employment, and uh, transition age uh, populations. And I've also done work. I'm the ex-founder of Driver Autism. I'm not part of it anymore, but I did some peer driver readiness um, for teens and young adults. And other than my main uh, professional fields, I also do public speaking in the New England area and virtual kind like this, for example. I present on pretty much similar uh, autism topics like transportation, special education, transition, and uh, transition to adulthood. Yeah. And I also do some advising for CHOP, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And then finally, I'm attending Charbrook State College to get my bachelor's in psych. Fantastic. Thank you, Megan. Go right ahead. Hi, my name's Megan McKenna. I am the co-creator and the lead of the series called Triggered. Um, it's an autobiographical a story about my life, a woman who has, uh, it's semi-autobiographical, of course, because I got to make you laugh a lot more than my real life will. <laughs> but it's all about a woman who is constantly triggered and uh, she's neurodiverse as well as having an autistic son. And it, it watches her kind of deal and navigate with what it is like to be in that sort of environment and how her family is personally affected. I have three kids. I'm a martial artist. I am a huge advocate of always being able to have a conversation. And um, I'm just really grateful to be here to share my heart and uh, my experience of um, being that mother with ADHD, misophonia that you'll learn more about. and. Um, the creator of the show. So thank you, Garrett. Fantastic. Thank you, Megan. Serena, go right ahead. Hi, good evening, everybody. My name is Serena De Jesus. Um, I go by my fight moniker, the Southpaw Outlaw. I have been a training in mixed martial arts for about 11 years now. Um, I've been a martial arts coach for youth and some adults for about eight years now. So I currently fight and train and help others. And in the past, I've run um, seminars teaching self-defense to autistic um, youth and adults, because in the Las Vegas Valley, unfortunately, the neurodiverse community is very underserved. So I figured I'd do something with what I got to help a little bit in the positive direction. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Thank you, Serena. Thomas, go right ahead. Entrance greetings. My name is uh, Thomas Doherty. I'm a writer of stories, a teller of tales, and an illustrator of the imagination. I'm from Otai, I'm born in San Diego. I'm a self-published author. Uh, my book, Little Margaret and the Big Brown Boots, was based on a true story that happened to my maternal grandmother back in the 20s. 
a story that shows that though you don't always get what you want, you might just get what you need. I'm a freelance artist and with a passion to do good for others. I draw free coloring pages for local kids and I uh, donate to local children's hospitals. Wow. Well, Thomas, thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being here. And I'll, I'll start with this. Folks, we have a lot of academics and researchers in the audience today here at this conference. What do you think they should know about being neurodivergent and experiencing life as a neurodivergent individual? Andrew, you want to start us off? Of course. I think academic and researchers um, should probably know about transportation barriers in the context of being uh, neurodiverse. Neurodivergent, for those who prefer that terminology. Um, there's a lot of the many things like employment, schooling, college. That parts of it are determined if you have that source of transportation. It doesn't have to be driving. It could be like taking public buses or even just getting rides from friends and family there. And I think it's easy to not think of this or maybe just sometimes it happens by accident because autism as a whole is complex. And there's so many different aspects like executive functioning, job skills, and probably all the other topics discussed in this conference. So it's very easy to get caught up by certain, easy for some certain topics to get tossed aside. Thank you. Yeah, Megan, join in. Uh, I would say that academics and researchers really should know that it's not one size fits all. Uh, My belief is that it's nature versus nurture, um, as well as a huge contribution of the attachment theory, of course, is coming into play. Um, I feel like if we are able to put mandated groups together um, for schools to teach the children who are neurotypical about neurodiversity and have that be something that is like going to your math class, what we would do is we could streamline an empathic movement that would empower people to want to accept being neurodiverse instead of just being aware. Uh, We all start from a little seedling. So if we're born with the magical superpower of being neurodiverse, then why wouldn't we want people to learn how to water us if we are different? Very well put, Serena. Go right ahead. Um, Megan really hit the um, nail on the head by what she said. We have reached a point coming from an artist who was diagnosed in the early 2000s to now 20 years later. We have now figured out, at least the mainstream society has now figured out what autism is, but we still have not reached a point in, in our time where we know how to be more inclusive. We have issues with neurodiverse in jobs. For example, the autistic population, about 90% of autistics are unemployed, not by choice, but because we have not yet made inclusive steps within the workplace and society to include them. So these are things that we need to start looking at and figuring out how can we include them. And it is a little bit difficult because autism and neurodiversity, it is a one size fit all kind of situation. So there's a lot to be done um, from talking to including the neurodiverse community to seeing what works, seeing what doesn't. Bridging a lot of gaps is ultimately what we need to do. And I'm hoping that forums like this that lo- that um, connect the autistic community with researchers, with medical professionals and the like will help further this along. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Very well put. And I'll say one thing to add on to it as somebody who's done a lot of work with employment uh, and our autism advanced program at Autism Tree, which is for folks that have individuals that are neurodivergent in their lives, um, employment is a challenge. Um, and anytime that a person that is neurodivergent is employed and being productive in the workforce is a celebration. We can always build, we can always expand on that work. Um, but I think it's it's really easy to lose the context of just how big of a hurdle employment can be uh, for neurodivergent folks. And so I really appreciate you bringing that up, Serena. Uh, Thomas, tell us a little bit about your experience. Well, I I've, uh, I think it's it's important that for people to remember that everyone on the spectrum is unique, and that it's one size all treatment. It's um, just doesn't doesn't work. 
Uh, I think that it's important to remember that everyone has their own, their own quirks, their own idiosyncrasies that often go unheard, um, uh, not only by the the academics, but also by by teachers and by uh, by mentors. Sometimes, oh, he's autistic. Then you just assume things about that, and and you don't you miss small things which can make a big difference to the individual. Um, I think that it's important to not just stick to diagnosis to remember as the late great fred rogers said each person is unique there's no one else like that person and to tailor the treatment toward that person not toward a group absolutely thank you thomas and one thing that i really am excited about this panel and really think is important to talk about is that we we are adults we've been through the world we've had experiences um, we, we've lived so much life collectively. And so it's, I think it's also really important to look back um, and to think about the experiences we've had and think about what we've gained and the knowledge that we've earned. And so my question to you all is, what is the biggest piece of advice that you would give to your younger self today? Uh, Andrew, you want to start us off? Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest piece of like advice I would give to myself, younger self in that case, is to not is to not care what people think about you and go with your gut. I like anything you do has meaning. And I think this comes to mind because I can be reactive to the world around me and it can negatively affect me. And I think it would have been helpful for me to work helpful me looking back because I tend to be a type I I come pretty way in achieving uh life milestones that might have made some parts of my life a bit more easier to navigate. Absolutely. Thank you, Megan. Go right ahead. So um, this one makes me really emotional. (laughs) Uh, My biggest piece of advice to my younger self is to understand that the world and its doubt that you will internalize without being conscious of that it doesn't belong to you. Um, What comes to mind is when I was able to release the doubt throughout my body, through a series of different therapies. This one in particular is called Image Transformational Therapy, founded by Dr. Robert Miller, PhD. Um, I was able to align myself and execute all my goals and make things happen when I realized that physiologically I didn't have any doubt in my body anymore. and. It's as if I have been on a turbo charge once I was able to realize that that was living in my body. So if I would have known that that doubt didn't belong to me, you know, I could have just been walking around, probably living every possible dream, reaching every milestone um, much earlier than I am now fighting for. So, yeah. That's what I tell my younger self. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. Very powerful. Uh, Serena, do you want to give your advice next? Um, Yeah, sure. What I tell my younger self is to find what piques your curiosity and chase after it. I've always been the type that loves to learn how things work. I may or may not have taken apart a very expensive pen of my dad because of that curiosity, but I think that natural curiosity of knowledge has drawn me to martial arts among a few other things as it's constantly changing it is never the same and it's just something that you know i wake up i'm like yeah i get to go simulate murder to all my with all my friends in training so i don't know if i freaked out anyone in the audience anyway sorry guys but that's what sets my soul blaze is just learning new things and that's it. Just having an open mind, following the fun journey, and just marching to the beat of my own drum. Fantastic. And Thomas, what's your piece of advice? Well, if I could speak to myself in the past, I, I tell, I tell myself not to be afraid to speak, to to share my thoughts. Um, again, as the late great Fred Rogers used to say, your feelings are mentionable and manageable. Don't be afraid to share how the world appears to you. Uh, everyone perceives the world differently. Um, and though, you know, the, the words may seem odd to you, um, 
someone else might be able to make greater sense of it than you can. Uh, because when I did share those thoughts as an adult, um, I found out from my mother, you know, she, she realized, oh, that's why you did this. Oh, that's why you did that. That's just why, why you, you were odd at this moment, that, that moment. It's because of how the world came across to me. Uh, knowing the answers back then, what I know now would have helped to ease the burden. It would have helped me not to feel ashamed and embarrassed because um, my idiosyncrasies. And it would have eased that guilt that I carried around with me. Thank you for that fantastic insight, Thomas. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about culture next. And Jeff, since you've written so much about culture um, and about your favorite pieces of culture, I was hoping that you'd ask the panelists our next question. Well, I'd be very happy to, Garrett. Thank you for thank you very much. Um, so, I want to ask our panels. Um, I want to ask the panel, what is coming from someone who's a big Disney buff and classic movie buff? I want to ask you all, what is your favorite movie, TV show, or book, and why is it your and why is it your favorite? Andrew, we can start off with you. Okay, I technically. Can I change it to video games? Can I mention video game in this case? If not, I can mention a movie that I like. So, preferences. Okay. You can oh, absolutely okay. mention video games, Andrew. You're good. Okay, I did change it in the edits. So I was like, no, what? I'm going to try to book ticket made through. So, <laughs> but anyway, my favorite video game is Near Replicant. Uh, this game just makes me feel good and actually hopeful, despite the game having kind of like a tragic ending. It's like a melancholy kind of world of you fighting your player as a brother who's trying to rescue his sister and kind of like a pulse kind of apotic world and people in there are trying to fight to find meaning in this in their uh, harsh world for both good and bad ways so it really is just a human story that really just changed my young adult uh, life and it still resonates to this day like eight years of me being introduced to this uh, game um, this game connects with my personal life which I know sounds a little crazy but bear with me it connects my personal life because of the themes of this themes of not only just uh, humanity in general, but in the fact that uh, like why they can do both good and and kind of bad things, and like that sort of dynamic kind of influences part of my work, and it encourages me to have a, a gray uh, perspective in terms of uh, perspective taking for kind of knowing that autism can appear very different things to a lot of different people. And even I, in my acting, in my public speaking, always have to watch myself. Like, I don't want people to think I'm the end-all solutions for all autism stuff. Maybe I kind of wish, but life is not that simple. <laughs> so I absolutely love Near Replicant. Well, well, that was very, very interesting, Andrew. Thank you. Um, so, uh, Megan, um, I would like to ask you, what is your favorite movie, TV show, or book, and why is it your favorite? Okay, well, I would say my favorite movie is, uh, I don't really completely have one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I thought about this, and I, I thought to myself, well, I mean, I think my favorite movie would be the one where I get to shine the most right from myself um which is like whole the re- the whole reason I'm here right to introduce the show so um i hope that doesn't sound narcissistic to anyone um but it it is right it's about self preservation right to to be here and to evolve and to stand up for yourself as someone who thinks differently and sees things differently so i would tell my younger self yeah Stand up for yourself right now. This is the time. So that I I definitely would say it's it's the movie that I have not been the star in uh yet. Good. Fascinating answer. I hope that movie gets made, Megan. And one day <laughs> I look forward to seeing it. Okay. Uh, yep. So Serena, um, what is your favorite movie, TV show, or book, and why? Okay, so my favorite movie is Cradle to the Grave. It had Jet Li and DMX in it. Now, I like this movie because what happened is I was a huge Jet Li fan in the 90s, Kiss the Dragon, you know, 
Romeo must die, all that stuff. That was my stuff. Um, but what happened is way later, I Jet Li has his own website, and there was an article on that website that dubbed me the mixed martial artist, and I am still running with that. It's the best nickname. So that's why I like Cradle to the Grave, and that's why Jet Li rules. <laughs> very, very good. Very, very good. And uh Thomas, um, would you share to our lovely audience here what is your favorite movie tv show or book and why my favorite book of all time and and as well as movie is uh charles dickens the christmas carol and it's because it's a story of redemption it's a story of compassion mercy and charity it's a story that that shows that no matter how dark the trail you've gone down no matter how terrible you believe you lose your life there's still a chance for you to bring great good into the world you know it's 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 a story that every year i have to watch the patrick stewart version every year i have to read the book because it, it recharges me to try to reach out to do good for others despite what i myself might go through the risks uh because it's well worth just to illuminate one life and well, well, that's very interesting. Um, go ahead, Garrett. Oh, well, I was just going to say fantastic. Jeff, thank you for asking that question. And Thomas, I love A Christmas Carol. I'm already getting excited for the holidays. Uh, and that is fantastic. Uh, and so I think we're going to shift it up a little bit. Uh, you know, one other group that we have a lot of in the audience is we have a lot of parents in the audience. Uh, and in the same way that we talked a little bit about giving advice to our researchers, do you have any advice for parents with neurodivergent children, especially those that may be new to the world of neurodivergence? Maybe their child got recently diagnosed um, or are just very overwhelmed by this world that they're entering into because it is a, it is a real process. There is a real toll. Um, and so any advice that you may have for them, I think would be greatly appreciated. Andrew, do you want to start us off? Mm -hmm, absolutely. Uh, my advice to parents in the audience, both um, live and uh, virtual, is just do your best you can, best you can, and trust your gut. And pretty much, you know your person, you know your child, teen, you know adult, and like or anyone in the lifespan much better than anyone else. And not even me can tell you otherwise. So this really comes to mind because I see a lot of infighting in communities. I've been online, not so much in person, thankfully. But online, there's a lot of infighting that doesn't really have to be this way from like what techniques you should not use or what language to use and what or who should to exclude or not. There's a lot of battles or quote unquote battles where, where it doesn't really have to be. And it's just better to use that energy on this other, you know, like other matters in the, in the community or kind of some of the issues that have been brought up in the conference. So just can, so just do everything you can and eventually something can fall into place. And I know I can't, I can only speak from a, just a regular person, not really like a parent perspective, but um, bear with me. No, I, th I think that's a very good point. And I, I know that a lot of our parents in the audience appreciate hearing from us as adults who, who are neurodivergent uh, because we, we've, we have seen what the other endpoint looks like. We've seen this process. Um, and I think it's important for all of us to come together neurodivergent adults, parents, um, and allies as a community to, to advocate for the types of changes that we need to build a more equitable society. Um, so to those that are, are new, it's, a, it's an important thing. It's a welcome thing. Uh, and so with that, Megan, what advice do you have as, as somebody who is a parent as well as a, a neurodivergent individual? So I would say that you have the ability to reach your child even though it might not look and feel the way you thought it should. Um, if you are able to really step into the reality of what is in front of you, just like everything in general, then you're creating a lot of space for things to live instead of a lot of judgment and rigidness to hold on to, like my kid can't be that or this can't be happening to my life. Like there's a whole kind of um, victimhood mentality that 
myself dips into at times, um, people in my life dip into, we all do, right? Because it, it allows us to feel justified. But does it, is it effective? No. So if the goal is to be effective, then the goal is to educate yourself and to seek support groups and to not focus on what is not working, but to focus on what is working. And, you know, little micro minutia goals every single day, celebrate them like wildfire because you don't know about tomorrow. I don't know about tomorrow. And you're on this journey with your child and, and believe it or not, even though you feel like you're failing and you're not doing your best, your best is all you've got. So accept your reality, give empathy, compassion to yourself and the individuals in your life, and just take pause and realize that it's okay that today was not what you thought, you know, but let's look forward and say, how can we be more effective? Yeah, that's what I would Thank do. Thank you, Megan. Wonderfully put. Uh, Serena, go right ahead. Um, what I want parents to start realizing, if they haven't already, I bet they have, is have an open mind. It's going to help a lot because, yes, there's going to be resources hopefully available to parents to use and whatnot. And it's not a bad thing to have. But the other thing is listen to neurodiverse adults. Listen to people who've gone through it because we both want the same thing is an excellent upbringing for a neurodiverse child in the world. At the end of the day, it is the call of the parent, but the neurodiverse adults that speak on these issues are doing so from a place of care and from people like myself, also from a place of experience. So feel free to listen. Please indeed listen. And we recognize that there are some neurodiverse adults who may not ever attain independence or have other issues or need help for the rest of their lives. Instead of squabbling, the best thing that we can all do is neurodiverse adults and parents can all start coming together and start working on real solutions versus finger pointing going like, oh, well, this, oh, well, that. Because unfortunately, when you go online, you see that the discourse and the discussion, there's there's no discussion. It's, it's a bunch of insults. It's a bunch of nonsense happening versus all that energy that could be put to working together. So that is my hope in the future that will happen. Absolutely. And one thing that I want to just add is that I want to just thank you all again for being here and sharing your stories. Um, our stories are powerful uh, as neurodivergent people coming here and putting our perspective to the forefront. Um, that's a choice. It's a choice we make to put ourselves and our stories out there for people to disagree with or criticize. And so I really want to just emphasize that. and Thank you for sharing. Uh, with that, Thomas, please give us your advice. My advice to parents is to listen, to make sure that your ears and your heart are your child's safe space. No judgment, no shame, no um, making them feel like they are broken or wrong. I think it's important that the space between parents and their children should be sacred. And I think that if you are open to to learning, um, from your children, just as much as they are to you, then you are more likely to grow it and as, as are they. Absolutely. Thank you, Thomas. And one thing that I think we can all agree on and is true is just neurodivergent experience is a lot. Um, I know that right now being in law school is also a lot. Uh, and what I've really found the, the last couple of years of my life is just that I've really had to focus on making sure that I am feeling good, my mental and physical well-being. Uh, and so I think it's something that's really important. I think it's something people will be curious to hear about is what is something that you think is important to your mental and physical well-being? I'll, I'll start with you, Andrew. What's important to you? This one's the easiest one. Uh, I think coffee, to me, because not everyone's a coffee drinker, <laughs> the civil coffee drinker is in my school I work at. 
but for myself only, um, coffee is important for my well-being. It's it's this case because of the both the taste and the caffeine. So at times, kind of calms me down. Just gives me kind of focus for the next thing. And then drinking it makes me just feel great because I feel like I can tackle most things afterwards. As long as I balance the caffeine, of course. Just don't have like fondant all at once because you'll be crashing throughout the rest of the whole day like that. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I'm a big coffee guy too. So I'm right there with you, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Hagen, what's important to your mental and physical well-being? So I'm going to take this kind of a different route. I'm going to answer the question, but it's coming from a place of um, my emotional well-being. Um, I would say, like we all, we want to be seen, you know, um, for me, I, I really feel seen and cared for and taken care of when someone um, looks in my eyes and listens even if they're exhausted, it's really nice for someone just to hold the space and look and listen. Um, for me, moving around um, are, and, and exercising and having some sort of release of my intensity for what's going on in my body, um, either in my mind or in my physical body, releasing that is just another great way um, AKA jujitsu, martial arts, right? And um, I don't know, kicking the bag, sometimes just going in the backyard and jumping on the trampoline. Um, laughter, even laughter, tickling, like really, these are all things that I try to incorporate into my daily living. And they don't happen in my daily li- living, but they're always in the back of my mind that. They'll kind of rebalance and re-energize my nervous system if I'm feeling flooded or dysregulated. The last thing I'll say is whoever it is that's in my support circle to feel like I'm being soothed by them, you know, and not judged, um, taken care of. Um, I think that falls into listening, right? And, And then I would just say being safe. Being safe emotionally, right? If if I can't share who I really am in this real moment, then it's not worth it to me. Hiding myself takes too much energy and then it makes me go backwards. So having someone hold the space for all of that I'm in partnership with at work, friends, family, spouse, loved ones. So that's what I would say. Fantastic. Thank you, Megan. How about you, Serena? So for me, it's martial arts and it goes beyond the whole aspect of training and whatnot. Ultimately, martial arts, when you go into that world, you have a sense of community from all different people, from all different walks of life, different ages, different parts of the world, and you all come together to do one thing and accomplish a task together, which is ultimately what I wish the world everywhere would be like. So for my mental, my physical, my emotional well-being, martial arts really changed my life. I went from being very isolated. I was a bookworm. I was still him, but I went from that to training. You know, I got people to talk to, best friends. I've seen, I've traveled the world now. You know, things I don't think I would have gotten if I was not in martial arts. So at the essence of my being, it's for me, it has to be martial arts just for everything. That is absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing, Serena. And Thomas, what's important to your mental and physical well-being? Well, I have to agree with uh, Megan on this one. I think that friendship really is a very important thing to have someone that you can open yourself up to freely to be able to carry the burden of your heart upon themselves, you know, to a safe space again, to where you, you're not judged, you're not being ridiculed, where you can are free to grow and share the depths of who you really are. I think that's a very important. And yes, matcha and chocolate are wonderful things, but if you don't have someone who will be there for you when you're at your lowest when you're at your ugliest, 
it makes life a very difficult thing to 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 go through so that's why mm -hmm. i think it's important to have a friend a true friend absolutely powerfully said uh friendship is really essential uh i'm gonna go in a slightly different direction with this next one which i think one thing that i i certainly believe is that resilience is a fundamental part of the neurodivergent experience of living as a neurodivergent person you know life is not easy um and i but what i have found is that all these challenges that come some of them that, that are going to be there anyway some of them because i am neurodivergent they've given me a lot more perspective and they've required me to be more resilient to to overcome them and to prevail and so what I want to ask you all is what is one challenge that you have overcome in your life and how has it changed you as a person? And I'll, I'll start with you, Andrew. What do you think? Uh, thank you. One challenge in this most probably like recent, or at least like 11 months is just overcome was just trying to cope with the pandemic, uh, COVID-19. Well, I was able to overcome it by letting go of past commitments I've had that were that were kind of harming me and I had to kind of embrace new commitments new to move forward. It's just how like this is kind of how one kind of creates like a feature, uh at least to me it, it is. Overcoming this affecting as a person, I realized what did not work for me. I had several uh, losses during the pandemic and I realized I wanted to get like a new fresh start for myself. Like I was in a kind of like a toxic work situation a year or two ago that almost caused a lot of trouble for me. And I had people telling me to let it go. And now I have that. It's been 11 years, not 11 years, 11 months, mind you, 11 months that completely reshaped my professional and personal life. So I feel now I can make to tackle both work and college worlds. Yes, the pandemic, I think, was a, a tough time for a lot of folks. It certainly changed me as a person as well. And so thank you for sharing that, Andrew. Uh, Megan, what is one challenge that you have had to overcome in your life? I think what I am currently overcoming, and it's a daily process, um, it doesn't really exist in a huge way anymore, but it used to exist a lot, is that I'm not capable of doing a certain something, right? So me developing this TV show has illuminated that I have a cascade of talent inside me that I didn't even really see. I always felt it. But now that I have individuals coming to me and validating that I can do anything I put my mind to, and and their talent is just undeniable, and they're coming and joining my team to bring um, a show responsibly and accurately to Hollywood to make you laugh and cry and experience all that there is to live in a neurodivergent world um, with all the different characters who could just, you know, trigger the, you know, what out of you. I don't think I'm allowed to curse, so I won't. Um, but, uh, you know, it's that it's overcoming the fact that Hollywood says you can't do it unless you know, someone you sleep with someone you, I mean, honestly, you, you, you put yourself out there in a way that's just completely kills your spirit, right? Or you're already someone, whatever that means. And so I've decided to say, well, I'm going to make you call me. So I know what's inside here. I know my, I know what I'm capable of. I know my talent. I know my team and I know the tentacles we have and are able to reach. So um, overcoming this idea that I can't do it just because I don't have the connections or I don't have uh, the certain numbers or, you know, I don't come from the family of, I mean, it's just, it's just absolute rubbish in my opinion. And that's my daily job is to prove that I can do it. I can step on the scene and I can say, you know, you want to look, <laughs> you know what you want to watch. And I feel really, um, really excited to share our, our show triggered with the world. 
Well, I, for one, am certainly excited to see Triggered uh, when it comes out. And I know it's going to be great. And I, I thank you for sharing that with us, Megan. I look forward to seeing it. Serena, what what is a challenge that you have overcome? Um, I've had to overcome some self-doubt, some of it bordering a little bit of an imposter syndrome because society is interesting. If you are not the savants or you're not in higher needs, you know, it's almost in a way in society, you're kind of like a ghost, like you're just shy of needing help, but damn, you're making the whole vibe weird kind of thing. So it's kind of like you're in, you have one foot in the neurodivergent world. You got another foot in the neurotypical world trying to, you know, just make it day to day. And because the lack of services, because some cynicism on my part, I feel a lot of autistic places like services, at least from what I'm seeing out here on the West Coast, they want to pretend to help, but they don't really help. That's why at least with autism tree, I'm grateful that you guys are doing things like this, helping lead the way, including voices that other places don't. But overcoming the imposter syndrome, the self-doubt, like, oh my God, am I being a functional adult in society? Am I making it? And having to learn to turn off some negative radio channels, comparisons, you know, because it's a thief of joy. Um, so, so that was a huge one that had to turn off. And then just like take it one day at a time. So some days where it's all right, it's just F it. We ball. And then other days it's just like it is what it is. We just coast with it. So just learning to let go and just go with the flow. That was the biggest help I could have ever asked for. Wow. That is fantastic. And, and I'll say I've definitely dealt with self-doubt a lot too. Um, I think we we all feel it in our own way. And I think it's it's really powerful to talk about it and acknowledge it and say, yeah, you know what? Sometimes I do doubt myself, but that doesn't mean I'm not talented and can do my best and am doing my best every day and am making it and I am going to make it happen. And so for anybody who is feeling self-doubt, um, you're not alone and you're great and you are you are doing great. Uh, and so find those find that positivity. Um, Thomas, with that, what is one challenge that you've experienced and how has it affected you as a person overcoming that challenge? Well, facing the um, the doubts of others, the mockery of others, um, the pain and the sorrow from that has, has sparked within, within me an empathy, an ability to, to sense when others are in pain and sorrow. You know, it's, it's thanks to the, all the things that I've been through that I've been able to, to tell when other people need to hear uh, a comforting word or just have someone just to listen. You know, uh, I've been able to channel my own heartaches, my own constant, almost constant anxiety to the point of pain into the ability to just to listen just to be there for someone else. I might not be able to give them words of wisdom or consolation, but I can at least be there for them in their moment of need and let them know that they are special and that they can be loved and cared for. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know that it is very powerful. Um, and it's compassion is just such a crucial thing. It's so important. Um, and so I, I thank you for sharing that very powerful statement. With that, one thing that I believe we've been talking a lot about positivity. We've been talking a lot about the future. We've been talking a lot about compassion. And so my question to you all is, what gives you hope for the future as we move forward, as we continue on this evolution of increased awareness of neurodivergent? What gives you hope for the future? And I'll start with you, Andrew. What gives you hope for the future? Uh, kind of my jobs with uh, focusing for autism and what I've been doing with my public speaking. <laughs> uh, this gives me hope because because my work work in those sort of settings helped me kind of not only get over the pandemic effects. It just helped me be able to reconnect in the the special education uh, field in general. Like if I got like a almost like I got like a second chance. For, probably technically isn't a second chance more like a okay we do i guess but <clears throat> being able to, like a second chance of just kind of readjusting after the changes from the pandemic and now and with my 
public speaking and how far I went with it. I've been doing a lot of uh, jobs in Newark and Newark, Mass, and spoke at a conference in New Jersey a few weeks ago. Um, public speaking helped me be able to pay for my college courses, which I'll take. Like, why not? Absolutely. That is fantastic. Uh, Megan, what about you? What gives you hope for the future? I would say being a person who always is a hop, skip, and a jump off the beaten path, always choosing the road less traveled, always, you know, telling my children to irreverently go forward, don't look back, and don't ask for permission. Um, These things inspire me. And because I feel so inspired, I would say the very thing that gives me hope for the future is just constantly leading a life where I can inspire people, but I can look to be inspired. And I mean, I am so wildly inspired today. I'm so moved by all of you and your stories. So thank you so, so much. Thank you, Megan. Seriously. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. And I'm glad to hear you're inspired. Serena, what about you? What gives you hope for the future? What gives me hope for the future are things like the seeing the the neurodiverse and the neurotypical community come together to work on solutions for the future because they did not exist when I got diagnosed in my teens. And we are not that far removed from the 50s, the 60s and 70s or so where we had neurodiverse people. We didn't show them. We didn't highlight them. We instead hid them in state-run facilities and such. So we are making important first steps as a civilization to be more inclusive to those that are different rather than hide them away. So this gives me hope because now we've, we now know what neurodiverse is. We're finally up on that picture and the science is no longer stalling in that. We're now starting to have some more fluid motion towards success, which helps the autistic community, the neurodiverse community, and everybody in it to just be kinder, more empathetic people. So it's my hope that these turn into more inclusive things for have policymakers, school superintendents, you know, all, you know, the rest of the community all come together so we can grow together as, as a society. Absolutely. Powerfully put. Thank you for sharing that, Serena. What about you, Thomas? What gives you hope for the future? Charity and compassion give me great hope for the future. The the hope, the great hope that we can raise a generation that's more willing to reach out to those around them, not to to judge or to condemn, but to try to learn from them, to try to see that although, you know, they may not be the brightest, they may not be the fastest or the strongest, they might help us to become better versions of ourselves. Um, that we can build a better future by each and every single act, plant the seed in someone's heart and mind through our own compassion and charity and mercy. And who knows what will grow from that seed if we just continue to be patient, continue to um, look upon everyone we meet as a whole new world with our own hopes, cares, and dreams and thoughts instead of as being less than ourselves. Mm-hmm. Very powerfully put. Now, Jeff, I want to thank you for being our our co-moderator here. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I would love to hear your answer to this question. What gives you hope for the future? As we've been having this conversation, we've been sharing our stories, we've been putting neurodivergence to the forefront. What gives you hope for the future, if that's okay? And I get if you don't want to answer the question, but I I would love to hear your thoughts. Well, you bet I'm going to answer the question. Well, I think the point is that I, I want there to be more acceptance of autism and neurodiversity more as a blessing than a curse, because we are seeing, you know, so many people, uh, so many people now at the diagnosis ratio is one in 36. We are seeing more and more people, you know, say like, why is this happening to me? Well, there are good things that come out of being neurodivergent. And I think it's very, and I think all of us in this panel think and believe that we have, we have the tools to 
prove to people and inspire them to say, you know, yeah, we may not have, we may not get the goals we want, but we're going to, we're going to get, we're going to find the goals and we're going to accomplish them no matter how big or how small they are. That's, that's my hope for the future. That is fantastic, Jeff. Thank you for saying that. And I'm going to answer this question too, because I, I think it's, it's an important one and it's an important one to talk about is for, I, I, one thing that you may not know about me is I've done a lot of research over the years, just personally, uh, on the history of autism. And, and what Serena was talking about is spot on. It's a, it's a very bleak history. It's a very dark history. There's a lot of institutionalization. There is a lot of humanity removed from the discourse about what it means to be an autistic person, what it means to be a neurodivergent person. Um, and I think the great thing that's been so exciting about the last, let's say, five years is that I think we're, we're getting to the point where at least the humanity of the discussion is starting to enter the picture a little bit more. That we think about people who are neurodivergent, neurodivergent people as people, not just this, this label, this, this identity that comes with a whole lot of stigmas and not just stigmas for the individual person, but stigmas for the family at large. Uh, and so one is seeing that discourse change but my hope for the future is that not just do we get past the, the discursive level of it, but we think about it in our solutions. Um, and we think about it not just as solutions being a pill or being a therapy or being a medicine. And those are solutions, not solutions. Those are good things that can help. Um, but that when we talk about solutions, we also include policy. We also include uh, looking at our society, our professional society, our world of work, um, our educational society, how we teach our children um, to look at neurodivergence, to look at difference, and to look at biases that have just been existing for a long time and actually really aggressively start asking questions about why do things have to be the way they are? Because I think we're, we're starting to get to the point where that discussion is something that we can have and that we can have that debate and that we can have those discussions and questions and, and new solutions and look at how to get at that 90% autism unemployment rate. I think we're going to have those discussions. And it's in part because it's folks like you all, both our panelists up here who are willing to, to come out and talk and talk about their experiences and look at their lives and identify uh, what's a game changer. And also the audience, the folks who are willing to listen, who are willing to take stock in what we say, who see the value of what we're doing in this enterprise. So that's my hope for the future. I think we're, I'm excited. I'm very, very excited because we are on the brink of having a discourse, a political discourse, a societal discourse where neurodivergence exists. And so as we wrap up here, I want to thank all our panelists so much for being here, for putting your stories here, for thinking through all these wild questions, uh, and for being you, and for going through the world and being empowered by your identity, for existing in your identity uh, and, and doing the best you can. With that, I suppose we do have time for one more question. And I apologize if I do put you on the spot, but I think my question is this. If you, for the folks here tonight, as you want them to walk out of the room and go into the world and say, I saw this panel, what do you want them to take away? Just one thing, if there's one thing that you want them to take away from this panel, from this experience, from this conference, what would you want it to be? For this one, if anybody wants to jump in here, by all means, I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit and I appreciate that. Yeah, sure. Just have the joy of knowledge the no and learn that to let go of ego, if you have any, that there are people who may know less than you who'll have the answer that you need. And that if there's something you don't know, that's okay. Just go out and, and try and explore and find the answer. 
You know, the science with neurodiversity is constantly changing. So instead of being rooted in, like you said, why does something have to be this way? Be adaptive to the change. Go with it. Because at the end of the day, you're here. we're here to better the lives of others. It's not worth, you know, squabbles. There's much more at stake. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. How about you, Andrew? What's what's the one thing you want everybody to take away from today? I mean, definitely hard ones, like, because why, well, like, different perspectives here, I guess. One of those is probably more general, just like, you know, like to go the doing your best route. Like, mm-hmm. that's another thing I kind of went for the pandemic, that everyone, on the most part, is doing the best they can. And mm-hmm. that some of the answers won't always be clear at first. So eventually, the answers will come in some shape or form. Just kind of being able to hand there, just kind of do everything you can to just kind of just bear yourself as a person. I guess I can go with that one. I imagine there's a lot of different uh, takes on this. So, Fantastic. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, Thomas, what about you? What do you want folks to take away from this discussion from today? Well, to to remember that every person you meet is a world unto themselves. That although they may seem different, they may speak differently, they may look different than you do. They each have their own hearts, their own minds, their own cares. And that it's always best to have that patience, to have that compassion, to be open-minded and to be open-hearted so that we don't cut people off just because the neurology is different, because their way of perceiving the world is different. If you can try to, if not perceive it from their point of view, then try to not cut it off not ignore it, not discount it. I think it would make it life easier for you as well. Absolutely. Very well said. How about you, Megan? What do you want folks to to take away from our discussion today? So being neurodivergent is a superpower. And um, as it's been explained to me, um, you know, we're all flying in the air, right? And Oftentimes, people might just see somebody who's neurodivergent as a paper airplane, right? Mm -hmm. But they need to know the facts are there are 747. And they need to watch out because they will take their jobs. (laughs) They will make the best technology. They will make the most incredible art. They will bring things to your imagination and your mind and make you think in a way that you never even thought was possible. So neurodivergence is a superpower. It's our job to offer to people the support so that they can be the most successful. So that's that's all I have to say. I left it left it with you guys. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Megan. And what an affirming message. What an affirmative message, a strong message to, to carry with us. Jeff, I'm curious, do you want to jump in and, and add to this? What do you want folks to take away from today, if anything? I would say probably, you know, there's there's always going to be, and I'm going to paraphrase the um, great uh, Sherman Brothers song, that there's a great big beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. Because there is, you know, there's always going to be a great big beautiful tomorrow out there. And you may have um, it, there may be days where you and your you and your loved ones and ch- children they're all going to you know ha- have one of those days and they can and they'll just you know have self doubt. But the important thing is that we have that we always have to look towards that great big beautiful tomorrow because again, it's just a dream away. Fantastic! How empowering! How optimistic. And here's what I'll add. I'll I'll answer this one too, which is what what I want you to take away. You look at the folks on this panel. We're from all different parts of the country. We've done all sorts of different things. We're excited, interested, invested, believe in different things. Is that neurodivergent life is not, it is not a singular experience. It's a collection of experiences. It's so much more colorful. It's so much more expansive. Um, we're not limited. Nobody on this panel today is, ha- has felt limited um, or is feeling limited 
in that they can't go out and do something and create and aren't invested in the world and the discourse that we're having as neurodivergent people. Uh, and so that's, that's at least my thought on taking away is take away from this that we are people. We are people and we are neurodivergent, but we are people and we want to connect and we want to be here. We want to engage and we want to make our community better. We want to get jobs. We want to go out and do great things and be in the world. And guess what? We are. We already are doing those things. So come join us. Come be a part of the work that we're doing. Come be a part of this community because we're open to everybody. And let's go and make the world a brighter place. So with that, panelists, audience, thank you so much for your time. I hope you've enjoyed today. And thank you for bringing your intention, your story, and your power to this conversation. Thank you so much. It really means the absolute world to me. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.com.